You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. These words are from Isaiah 61. And in light of the words from Isaiah 61, um, Luke tells the story of Jesus' life. And he talks about how he was born, and we've been through that in these last few weeks. And he talked about all that surrounded his birth. And then Luke talks about the fact that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And then he says that Jesus returned to Galilee. And when he got to Galilee, news about him was spreading through the whole countryside. This is the very beginning of his ministry. Everybody has been hearing about Jesus. And people are coming to see Jesus and coming to hear him preach and teach. And so Jesus goes to his own town, Nazareth. And he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And they handed him a scroll. And he stood up and he opens the scroll to these words that you just heard, Isaiah 61. Now, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to read from Isaiah 61, because the Bible didn't have, of course, verses and chapters back in that day. The Scriptures did not. We added those as late as maybe 1500. We kind of gave an address so you could, you know, find verses and sentences in the Bible. But he found those words, and he read from those words, and, and here's what he does. He stands up and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sets down. Because that was typical. When a rabbi would teach, they would sit down. So I have biblical support for what I'm doing right now, okay? And the people actually would stand for the whole message. So would you like to stand for the whole message? I didn't think so. And here's what Jesus says to all the people in the synagogue that day. Okay, you ready? He says, today, this very day, this scripture that I just read, it is fulfilled in your hearing. So what was he saying? Was Jesus actually saying... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus. And God has anointed me. And He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I come with good news. And and did the people have any idea what Jesus meant when He said those words? So what happens now when we open the Bible and we begin to work through the Gospels and very early on in Jesus' ministry, you find just picture after picture of Jesus carrying out this ministry that God sent him to do, that God anointed him to do. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want you to open your Bible to John chapter 9, okay? So grab your Bible or your phone or maybe the Bible in the seat back in front of you. Get it open in front of you to the Gospel of John chapter 9. And we're going to start with verse 1. And I want to show you one of these pictures of what it looks like when Jesus carries out, you know, this thing that God sent him to do, okay? So let me begin with verse 1, John chapter 9. Here's the way the story unfolds. As he went along, and John is talking about Jesus, we can clearly see as we continue to read. He saw a man who was blind from birth. And so obviously Jesus wasn't aware of that when he saw him. He just saw a blind man. So his disciples asked him a question. They said, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents that he would be born blind. So, in what I've read so far, who saw the blind man? Was it the disciples that saw him? The Bible doesn't say the disciples saw him. It says Jesus sees him. And then it says that the the disciples rather get involved after Jesus gives some attention to the guy. And so Jesus answers, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. This happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus enters into this conversation about light and dark, which John so carefully points out all through his gospel. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. But night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then after saying this, and it gets really interesting, he spits on the ground. And he made some mud with the saliva. And he put it on the man's eyes. I'll just say it. Because you don't want to say this about Jesus, but that sounds a little gross. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And so the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed he was... But others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, and it's the first time that he speaks. He didn't ask to be healed. He didn't ask for Jesus to come over. He didn't say anything, according to John. This is the first time he speaks. No, it's me. I'm the guy. I was blind. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and then I could see. So I thank God for his word today. I want to talk to you about it, okay? Well, I, I failed to say happy Happy New Year to you, but we are in 2015 and that's kind of exciting. I, I saw an article this past week it talked about the number of people that make some kind of New Year's resolution. So 62% of Americans will make some kind of resolution, resolve to do something as they begin to do this New Year thing. Only about 8% of the American people actually follow through with that resolution. That's not real exciting, is it? I don't know about you, but I typically take advantage of it, and I think it's been a value in my life, and you may like that or not like it, I don't know, but it's, it's helpful to me. And so I kind of approach a new year with, there's some things I want to focus on, and I think this is a good time to do that, and so I'm going to, I'm going to focus there. And so I was reading several lists of New Year's resolutions for 2015, and uh, it, no matter what list you read, it, the top five are all about the same. Uh, there's always one that says, I want to spend more time with family, or enjoy my family more, enjoy life more. And there's always one about either getting out of debt or saving money or managing money better. And there's one about getting fit. I want to get in better shape because round is not the shape that I want to be in, and so I'm looking for another shape to be in. Um, and, and then number two, on every list that I saw, number two was quit smoking. I was a little surprised. I didn't know that many people 
smoke. But number two was to quit smoking. The number one New Year's resolution for 2015 is to... Boy, you are not very participative this morning, are you? The number one New Year's resolution for 2015 is always... It's always lose weight. Always lose weight, yeah. Got to lose weight. I, I should commend you. I think you are doing really well in your new year. So far, you have not missed a Sunday. You have perfect church attendance for 2015. When I was a kid, you, you, got a, you got a medal or something, a pin, if you did that all year. And then when you went out of town, you went to another church and you had to bring the bulletin back and you got credit for being at church. You got counted present. So, my, how things have changed. I, I, I think it was just a way of saying this is a priority in my life. And I think we could probably do a little better about making church attendance a high priority in life. So that was the first sermon, and that one was just added on, okay? And so I don't mind you saying I want to get fit, or I want to lose some weight, or I want to, you know, do better managing money, or I want to spend more time with my family. I think all that's good stuff, but I'm probably a little more focused on the person this morning who says to me, Pastor, when I think about my future and when I think about where my life is heading from here, and I look at a new year, and I look at changes that can take place. I, I just want to be whole. I want to be complete. Because many of you who sat looking at me this morning realize that if we kind of went to some deep places, we would say, you know, there's a lot of brokenness in our world. There's a lot of brokenness here in this room. And so we have this great ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. And because we do, I get to talk to a lot of people who are overcoming addictions. But I understand there's people looking at me this morning who is trying to overcome an addiction. And whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or whatever it is, it's not uncommon for someone to say to me, this keeps me from being who I could be. It keeps me from being who I was made to be. I'm broken as a person. And I don't know that I need to define brokenness for everybody. There's some of you in the room looking at me saying, you can stop right there. I, I don't need a definition. I'm living it. Some of you are worried about a, 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 a child, a, a teenage son, a daughter, an adult son or daughter. Your heart is broken for them. Maybe it's a family member that you're, you're worried over and they don't make good decisions and you're watching their life spiral out of control. Or maybe it's been a cycle that they have lived in for years and years and you just, you're broken for them. For some of you, it's physical. And I know families, I know families who are going through it. I'm not 100% pastor, not, not while I'm dealing with this. I'm a broken person right now. Some of you have been through so much stuff. And it's great when I look at some of your lives and I see what God is doing. Man, you were here not long ago. And look where God is bringing you. I mean, He is healing your brokenness. 
For some of you, it's something back in your past and you don't want it to define you any longer and you want to move beyond it and you want to be healed and you want to be well and you want to be whole, but so far that healing hasn't come. On the outside, Rick, I look okay, but on the inside, I am still broken because of this past pain, abuse that I went through. And I listen to these words of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. He has sent me to proclaim good news to the poor. Freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And and then we get these pictures. We get these pictures of him doing just what he said I was sent to do. This is what God wanted me to do. And one of the pictures we get is right here in John 9 with this guy who is blind, broken. And Jesus sees him and sees his brokenness. You understand that in that culture, being blind was worse than being blind. Because your only way of survival was begging. And so if you were blind, you were not only blind, but you were a beggar. And the man understood brokenness all too well. He understood brokenness like some of you have understood brokenness. And so how do you deal with this whole idea of pain and suffering? I don't want to spend a lot of time here because I think we spent adequate time here back a couple of months ago. But, but let, me, let me take just a minute to stop here and then we will move on. You might remember that, that Americans were asked a few years ago... If you could have an audience with God and ask one question and be guaranteed an answer, what question would you ask of God? So you can ask God one question and you're guaranteed an answer. So what what question would you ask? And so America said the number one question that I would ask God, if I only get one question and I'm guaranteed an answer, I would ask God, why does He allow pain and suffering? And the argument is almost as old as time, because here's where it always ends up. If God is good, and if God is all-powerful, then He has the ability to eliminate suffering. Why doesn't He? And so, skeptics say either He is not all-good or He is not all-powerful, because if He was all-good and all-powerful, He wouldn't let this continue. So the people of Jesus' day looked at it a little differently. The Jewish people did. And the people that we're referring to primarily in this particular passage are the disciples and the Pharisees who asked these questions. They connected human suffering directly to sin. So if, if you have a, a physical problem, it's, it's because of your sin. If you have this awful thing that comes into your life, it's connected to your sin. In other words, it's God punishing people. That was the idea. And so they asked the question, Jesus, this man was born blind. So who sinned? Was it him or his parents who sinned? That he would be born blind and have this awful thing in his life. And so what they were in essence saying is that we also believe that life is fair. If you do good, you get good back. If you do bad, you get bad back. 
And if you carry that argument on out, what it basically means is that I can control my future. So if I can be good enough, then I won't have any bad things coming to my life any longer. Now, we know that sin has consequences. So if you, if you attempt to rob a bank and you end up in prison, you can sit there in prison and say, the reason I'm in this prison is because I attempted to rob that bank. But Jesus says when it comes to blindness, when it comes to disease, no. You've given me two options, Jesus says. Him or his parents, I don't like either option. Neither. Nobody's sin. That's not what God is like. God doesn't do that to people. And what Jesus is really saying is the world is not fair. Life is not fair. Some people go to bed full at night, and other people go to bed really hungry. Some people get diseases and die, and some people live to be a hundred. Some people are abused and become victims, and other people live like royalty all of their lives. Life isn't fair. And you and I understand that we live in this fallen world. This is not what God intended. God is trying to redeem this mess. But in the fall, everything went wrong. And this is what we are left with. But out of this brokenness, and out of this broken world, God is doing amazing things to create new and to bring new creation into being. So, so let's, let's, let's think about that for a minute, okay? I was uh, with my family uh, this past week, and we took quite a little trip, and we went to see all the family. And so um, we got around to three states, and, and we got to be with our little granddaughter, Sadie, which was awesome, and she is perfect in every way. I just... Unless you're a grandparent, you'll just never quite get that. But once you're a grandparent, it will make complete sense to you. You know, it's just amazing. Um, and we had some incredible moments with her. We, we were in a hotel for a, a few nights while we were gone for that week and a half. And I got up one morning, and I got ready, and it was Annette and Morgan and I. And, um, you know, when you're in that position, just, you know, best thing you can do is just get out. You know what I mean? Just... So I get my computer and I go down to the lobby and I'm just going to be down there until everybody is ready. And so I'm hanging around down there and um, I heard this lady who worked there over at the front desk um, say to a guy, can I help you? And he says, no, I'm, um, I'm, just, I'm just waiting for a ride. I'm going to my mother's funeral. And the guy was um, maybe just a little bit older than me, um, maybe, maybe in his 60s. And, um, and so I looked over at him, and he looked uncomfortable. And he kind of caught my eye, and so I kind of nodded, you know. And he nodded. And, and I thought maybe I might get a conversation if he came over and sat down, but actually I went kind of back to what I was doing, and, and, and then I heard him over at this other area, and I couldn't really see, but I could hear and there was a bar, but it was, you know, 9 in the morning. The bar is not open. And, and this guy says, sir, can I help you with something? And he says, yeah, can I get a drink? 
And, and the guy says, oh, no, the bar's not open. And so he says to the guy, can you get me a drink? And he said, um, I can get you a bottle of beer. And the guy said, that'd be great. And so he got him the bottle of beer and he said, thanks for the beer. And he took a drink and he said, uh, going to my mom's funeral this morning. I need a little help. And so I thought, I hope I get to talk to the guy. He and this guy, they got in this conversation and then it just kind of got into conversations about all kinds of stuff and they were talking kind of loud and I was kind of hoping the guy would have to go back to work so maybe the guy would talk with me and I thought I could just tell him that I heard he was going to his mom's funeral and he needed a little help and I'm a Christian and, you know, could I, could I pray for you? You know, what would be wrong with that? I think he might have appreciated it. So when I read the story, I think some of my favorite words are the first words. He saw a blind man. I mean, Jesus. I don't think John is making a mistake or leaving out details. I think he's making a point. Jesus was the one who focused on the blind man. Jesus sees a guy in his brokenness, a guy who is forced to live the life of a beggar, and Jesus sees him. And you know what else I believe Jesus saw? I believe Jesus saw the guy in the hotel the other day. In his brokenness. In his pain over his mom's death. I think Jesus saw him. And you know what else I believe? I believe that this morning Jesus sees you. In your brokenness. I believe he is very aware of what's going on in your life. He understands what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're hoping for, what you're praying for. I think He sees you in those darkest moments. I think He saw you when it was really dark. I think He cried with you at times. And the Bible doesn't say that the God does anything. He's not like asking to be healed. He's not calling Jesus to come over. Jesus pursues him in his brokenness. Jesus is going to where he is. I mean, I love that. I think that's the way my life has always been. When I find hurting people, I find the presence of Jesus. I mean, I go into a place where people are hurting. And man, I have never prayed anywhere any easier in my life. I feel like the presence of Jesus is surrounding me there. Whether they're Christian or not. And Jesus pursues this blind guy. And he has to get down to spit in the, in the dirt. I, I don't know how you avoid that because I just think it sounds kind of weird. You know, it wasn't the first time that Jesus ever spit, you know, uh, to do something like that. I mean, one time in Mark 8, he spits, he spits on a man's eyes. How strange is that? I know. That's what the Bible says. It says he spits on his eyes and he touches the man and the man could see. And then there's this other guy that is deaf and mute. And you know what Jesus does? He sticks both his fingers in his ears. That's kind of strange. Do you know that was in the Bible? And then, you know what else he does? He spits and he touches the guy's tongue. Whoa. You know what the guy did? He started talking and hearing. 
Isn't that wild? So I did a little research to think, okay, in the ancient world, was this, you know, saliva thing? Did it have some kind of significance that I don't understand? And, and, and while some in the ancient world believed that saliva was, you know, curative to nature, in some nature, basically everybody just agrees that it was uh, gross and would make anybody uncomfortable. And then I started thinking about that and, and kind of remembered back when, when I was a little boy. My mother made pretty good use of her resources. I don't think there was a Kool-Aid stain that I ever had that had any way of holding up against my mother, wiping that off of my face, you know. Or a hair that was sticking up that wouldn't lay down, my mom would take care of it with, you know, the magic stuff. And then he says to the blind guy, go wash in Siloam, a pool. Uh, It was probably the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles and the water in the pool of Siloam had ritual intent. But Jesus decided to use it for his purpose. Probably no other significance. Go. But I'm still blind. (laughs) Go. But I'm still broken. Go. But I'm still hurting. Go. I, I, I think sometimes in, in our brokenness, in our pain, in, in our suffering, the only, only thing we can do is just say, I'm going to make sure that I'm doing what Jesus would have me do right now. That's all I can do. I'm broken. And I can't fix it. And the only thing that I can do right now is just make sure I'm doing what Jesus would want me to do. That's it. That's really good stuff, by the way. And he was able to see. In in, in verse 5, John is careful to quote Jesus' words, I am the light of the world. And maybe pushes us somewhat toward the resurrection. I think what you have to do with this is understand that Jesus is creating a new thing. He is bringing new creation into being. He is making something new. This is why he came. So there's there's a word in 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 the New Testament, and John uses it often, and it's uh, say mayon, and it is translated for us sign, and it and it's like sign for us because a sign is never you know if you see a sign for a restaurant, you don't stop at the sign and eat, right? It's just pointing to a restaurant, and so the sign is not it in itself an end. It's pointing to something, and so. So this miracle of this man who is blind being able to see is a sign, according to John. And, and it's a sign pointing to something else. And it's, and it's pointing to the idea that Jesus can also heal your spiritual blindness. Because he finds the guy at the end of the story and says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Tell me who he is so that I can believe. And Jesus says, You're talking to him. 
And then Jesus says, I have come so the blind would see. So, I heard the story again this week of Lee Strobel, and it had been years since I had remembered hearing about how he came to Jesus. But he says, I was an atheist. I decided when I was a pretty young man that that God did not exist, and I didn't need to busy myself worrying about God any longer. That was just going to go away. And so he said, I got my training in law and journalism. And at the time that things began to transpire in my life, I was the legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. My wife, I think, was agnostic. We didn't really talk about God. But we had this neighbor named Linda, and Linda started talking to my wife. And because Linda was a follower of Jesus, it wasn't long before she was talking to my wife about Jesus. And then she invited my wife to a Bible study, and then she started inviting my wife to church. And my wife started going to all this stuff, and he says, I remember the day that my wife came to me and said, I need, I need to talk to you about something. I think, I think I should tell you this. I've become a follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm a different person. And he said, my first thought was divorce. I didn't, I didn't sign on to this. I did not marry a Christian. I don't have to go along with this. Just, just divorce. He said, it made no difference to me at all. He said, because I did not believe in God, um, I pretty much did not have a moral code. I decided that morals were up to me to determine. And so I became, honestly, he said, a hedonist. I, 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 I looked for pleasure. And so I was living a very immoral life and trying to find pleasure anywhere I could, but I was angry because, because pleasure never paid what it promised. I was always left empty. And I was always looking for more because pleasure never did what I thought it should do for me. And so I was kind of mad. He says, one morning my wife says to me on Sunday, Lee... And he says, I'm trying to sleep off a hangover. Lee, wake up. I'm going to church. You should go to church with me today. And he says, I said, you know what? I I will go to church with you today. Because in my mind, I was going to free her from this cult that she had become connected to. He said, when I left church, I didn't leave a believer. I didn't leave saying, I believe there's a God, but I left saying, if there is a God, then that would have significant implications for my life. And I decided I should think about that. I didn't leave saying, I believe in God, but I left saying, if there is a God, then that would have significant implications for my life, and I should consider that. And so he said, I used my training in journalism and law, and for two years, for two years, I studied about God and Jesus. And for me, it all came down to the resurrection. And he said, I remember one one day at my house, I said these words, God, I believe in you. And Jesus, I accept your forgiveness for my sins. And I walked into the kitchen, and I told my wife, And we held each other and cried. And Jesus changed me.
I have come that the blind will see. And I have come to bring good news to the poor. And I have been sent to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for blind people, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I, I, I don't know, I don't know any, any better way this morning for us to conclude than to celebrate, celebrate Jesus life, death, and resurrection in the Lord's Supper. And so when I, when I think about taking this bread and eating it and taking the juice and drinking it, it is broken down and it is carried into my bloodstream. It goes throughout my entire body. And, and it's an image that one day kind of came to my mind that has helped me think in terms of when I take the Lord's Supper, what is happening is that I receive His grace into my life and His grace fills me. And so I receive this morning His grace. And I receive the hope that He gives me. And I receive healing from my brokenness that He offers me. And so this morning, as, as we celebrate this together, I, I believe that God is going to work powerfully in the lives of people here this morning. Just, Lord, in this moment, I'm a broken person. But I'm going to receive your grace. And I'm going to open myself to your healing. And I'm going to open myself to the hope that you will bring me. And I believe, God, that you can make me whole. And so those of you who are going to serve us, would you stand and come forward? And could we all stand together at this time and prepare our hearts for communion? Okay? You don't have to be a member of this local church to receive the elements. Um, I would caution you in this regard, and that is that you be sincere and that you seek Jesus as you do this. And if you say, that's not a place where I am today, then I think you need to feel comfortable in letting the elements pass by you. But if you are sincere in seeking God today, then, then I think it's a means of grace for you to participate in. And so after you received the cup, and you just take one, and there's two cups, the bread is in one, and you can maneuver that. Would you just hold on to it until everybody is served? And then after everybody has been served, we will eat and drink together. Okay.
So I don't want to play down the fact that a blind man got to see. That's huge. It's, it's amazing. But a greater miracle happened. He was healed of spiritual blindness and he got to see God. So when Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat this. It is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it, all of you, and be thankful. Let me just pray a closing prayer, okay? Very simple. Lord, this is my heart right here. I pray that for people in the room this morning who are living with brokenness. Lord, that's maybe most of us to some degree. I pray, Lord, that you will bring healing. And you will bring hope. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, before you go, um, I just thought you might be interested. I saw a staff member over here, an old staff member, Scott Register and Joanna. Welcome, guys. Glad you're here. So they're over there. If you want to shake their hand, that's where you would find them. God bless you. Have a good day. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.